0: Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How are we doing today? You guys good? Everybody's good? Hey, welcome today. We're glad that you're here. We're thankful that you're here kind of weathering this construction season with us. And we're excited about what God's doing here at Generations Church. We're excited about this next season when the construction is completed. I was walking the space. If you don't know, we're going downstairs into the space that was previously occupied by Sears. We're taking over 12,000 square feet there to create a new worship space, a new lobby, much larger restrooms of which I'm getting an amen every time I mention that, give tours. Uh, but uh, so we've got, we got much got larger restrooms room. we've got an elevator and staircase inside the building that will bring these two levels together all of the upstairs space will be dedicated then to children and youth and so we're excited about that but it means that in this season of transition we're in a little bit of discomfort as it shrunk this room that wall is brand new to kind of create a much smaller space here uh, as we are just preparing for the hallway there the lot the uh, elevator and the staircase and so we're, we just appreciate you uh, just kind of being here and being flexible and moving your seat if necessary I see some of you sitting in a different seat today than you you sat in last week, then you sat in for the last three years. And so we're, we're excited that you're flexible and that God can move on you over there just like he could in a space that doesn't exist anymore, right? So we're thankful for that. If you haven't already been giving to our, our capacity campaign where we're creating more space to serve more people, I invite you to do that. Uh, it's also a great season right now because it's kind of spring, not, you know, not officially on the calendar, but it's spring in our house because spring sports have started, which means that I'm going to need a little grace from you on Sunday mornings. Uh, if, you're, if you've been attending here for any length of time, you kind of tracked with us over the last few springs, you know how this works. Every Sunday I arrive with a new tan line on my face. Uh, so yesterday I sat in the sun from this point over. And so it's red here, it's not here, uh, that's not a skin condition, it was 40 degrees, I didn't think I needed, uh, you know, sun t- sunscreen there, so I apologize, sun Sundays, it'll be sunglasses, and all, just, just, you know, laugh at me, it's fine, I asked somebody before the 8.30 service, I said, I feel like I'm wearing lipstick, my lips are so chapped, they were like, your lips are fine, your face looks crazy, and so uh, they're dead to me now, and so I'm excited they'll be attending another church next week, so... Um, Just be be grace-filled and and help me with that. Hey, and Pastor Matt mentioned it earlier, Couple to Couples tonight. It's one of our favorite events. It's a great event for married couples, engaged couples. Uh, If you're not already signed up, the spots may be taken. You can go and try to register now. I think there were like three or four spots this morning, Uh, and so you could grab those. If you want to come, we'd love to have you. It's a really great four-week Sunday night event, so for the next four Sunday nights, Uh, We just invest in in relationships, marriage-engaged couples that are about to be married. Uh, We'll feed your kids if you've got kids at the same time, and you're going to hear from some great speakers, uh, and then you're going to be fed. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have a great time together, Uh, and so we we invite you to be a part of that if there's space still available. I am excited about today because we do kick off a brand new series out of the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Uh, The series all month long is going to be called Redeemed. And so when I think about that word and I think about what it means to be redeemed, I think about, you know, you can redeem a gift card. You can redeem something of value. You can turn it in. If you go to Chuck E. Cheese, you can redeem your tickets for prizes that are invaluable, right? And so uh, you can redeem all these things. And so I think about our lives and the fact that we are being redeemed, have been redeemed by the work of God through Jesus Christ On the cross. And so when I point to this book of the Old Testament, this book of Ruth, it it really finds itself in the middle of some, some really important stages in Old Testament history. It finds itself between the season, the period of Judges. And the season of kings over the children of Israel there. And so the the book of Ruth really sets the stage for connecting those two pieces, uh, segments of history there in the Old Testament. And so over the four weeks, we'll kind of take one chapter at a time. But for us to understand the story, and I don't have to get to the end of the message each week and go, we'll come back next week for the rest of the story, same bat time, same bat channel. Some of you don't even get that reference, but anyway, uh, so the idea, instead of just giving you a cliffhanger every week, I thought I would just summarize the entire book of Ruth for you right up front today. So this doesn't mean that you can skip church the next couple of weeks. We invite you to come back. Uh, And and so each week we'll take one chapter, but the whole story is incredible. It's four chapters. It'll only take you like 15 minutes if you read it from start to finish, which I encourage you to do over these four weeks. But here's the story of the book of Ruth. So it opens uh, coming out of this season of Judges or in the season of Judges and the children of Israel. And there's a famine in the land, and so a man by the name of Elimelech has decided he's going to take his wife and his two sons, his wife's name is Naomi, take the the two of them and their two sons to the land of Moab. And they go to Moab to find food there, and when they arrive, at some point after their arrival, Elimelech dies. And then Naomi is left with her two sons, and her, her two sons take as wives for themselves two Moabite women. One of them is named Orpah, one of them is named Ruth, the namesake of this book. And so now we have Naomi, her two sons, and their two wives, Orpah and Ruth. Well, about ten years later, the two sons also die. Now we only have Naomi, Orpah. And Ruth. And so in that culture, these women living together, living by themselves, it would have been like they had no hope. They didn't have anyone to provide for them. They didn't have anyone to care for them, to protect them, to defend them. And so it comes time that Naomi realizes, you know what, I think there might be food back in Bethlehem where we came from. We'll go back and be near my family. And so she tells these girls, I'm going to go back. And And, and so they all start packing up. But before they actually leave, as they're just beginning to set out on their journey, Naomi says to these two girls, hey, thank you for your loyalty to me and to my family, but there's nothing that I can provide for you anymore. I encourage you to go and find a new husband for yourself and and have kids and to to extend the lineage of of your family. And so I'm going to go back and after a season, of conversation there, they're, they're crying, they're, they're talking together. Orpah leaves, and Ruth clings to her, and this is what it says beginning in verse 16 of Ruth chapter 1. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So now Ruth goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And when they get there, Naomi says, hey, I want you to go out into the fields and I want you to collect any of the grain, any of the the crops that are being left behind by the workers of the field. And so so Ruth goes and does that. And and at some point, the the owner of the field, a man by the name of Boaz, he comes and he sees this woman that's collecting the crops from his field. And so he asks the workers and they say, well, that's a foreigner. She's come back to Bethlehem here with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they tell him part of the story. And so he comes to Ruth and he says, hey, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to collect all of the crops, any of the grain that you would like. And I want you, if you get thirsty, to go to my well and drink from my well, which would have been taboo because she was a foreigner. And so she goes home that night and she tells her mother-in-law what has happened. And, and so uh, Naomi, realizing who Boaz was, he was a distant relative of their families. And so he, she says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back. I want you to do everything that he said. But I also, the next night, I want you to go and lay at his feet As he's asleep, I want you to lay at his feet. And so she does that. And the next morning, Boaz wakes up. He sees that she's there. He gives her some food, and he sends her on her way. But a a plan is developing in his mind because there was a Jewish law, Jewish custom there, that uh, the, the closest male relative of a deceased man was to take that widowed woman as his own wife so that he could help her to have children and to extend the legacy Of the family from which this man had previously died. And so he begins to think about this. He recognizes there's a closer male relative in the family than him. So he goes to the town elders. He tells them what's going on. The closer relative decides he wants no part in this story. And so Boaz takes Ruth as his wife. He he provides for her and Naomi. Gives her a child. And the legacy of faith is continued. And this is the story of a kinsman redeemer. And so that's really where the idea for this series came, this this name of of redeemed, because Boaz redeemed Ruth and redeemed really the family of Naomi. And if you continue to, to read through that story and you understand how all of the Old Testament narrative fits together, you recognize that the story of Ruth actually continues in the lineage of Jesus Christ through King David. And so there's some incredible truths we're going to unpack over the next few weeks. But today I wanted us to really start In chapter 1, and look at some truths that I think will do really three things for us. One, it will help us to understand a little more about the nature of God. Secondly, I think it will help us to understand ourselves better in light of God, in the context of God. And then third of all, I think it will also help to prepare our hearts for Easter. You know, Easter is about seven weeks from today, if you count today. Seven Sundays from now, we'll celebrate Easter weekend and as I think about Easter, I recognize that Easter represents God's love for us demonstrated by him sending his one and only son to the earth for that son, Jesus, to live a sinless, blameless life. And yet he was arrested, he was crucified on our behalf, he paid the price for our sins, he redeemed us, but he didn't stay dead. What we celebrate on Easter is the hope that's available to us, that even death was not greater than the power that lived in him, and so he was resurrected on Easter Sunday. And so we celebrate that resurrection is not an event, but resurrection is a person. And so on Easter, we'll celebrate that, that we have been redeemed. And so we're going to talk about a, a lot about this idea as we move closer to Easter. And so that's really where we're going to start today, is to look at those three things. Who is God? Who, is, who am I in light of God? And how does this prepare me for the work of Easter through Jesus Christ? And so the, the three things that I see in chapter 1, this story that comes to us in Ruth chapter 1, Really, it starts with the passage we already read. It said this, remember in verse 16, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Here's the first thing that I see out of chapter one. There is a redemption story for everyone. There is a redemption story for everybody. Now, here's what I know. This is a foreshadowing to Jesus. I've already told you about Easter coming. But when you think about this standalone story in the Old Testament, it may not seem like Jesus plays very much of a role in it at all. His name is never mentioned in the book. And yet what we see in the details of this story is that this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Because if you think about the Christmas story, the angel appears to the shepherds in the field and says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Everybody say all. It doesn't doesn't say some people. people. It doesn't doesn't say say the people you like. It doesn't say say the people that you think are good enough for God. It doesn't say the people that, like I said a few weeks ago, look like you, act like you, smell like you, right? It's for all the people that the good news of great joy exists. And so when we read through the story of Ruth, we recognize that Ruth was a Moabite woman. Now, that might not mean much to you, but Moabites... And the Hebrew people, the children of Israel, these Jewish people, they, they, didn't, they didn't connect. They didn't, they didn't work together. They were two separate pieces of the story that's being written in this Old Testament period of time historically. And so as we look at this story, we recognize that there was there was a disconnect between the Jewish people and the Moabite people. And yet this story is about bringing these two groups of people together as we're creating, as we see, the lineage of Jesus Christ being created through King David and eventually Jesus Christ and so when I think about that I think about Ruth being this Moabite woman and I recognize that this Moabite woman being connected to her mother-in-law Naomi I see that there's this incredible truth that the redemption story here exists for everyone everybody that you know you and everybody that you think is far from God and everybody that you think is close to God all of us are included in what God is trying to do in writing redemptive stories Jesus came to the earth, and he continued to proclaim, in all of the time that he was on the earth, that he came for both the Jew and the Gentile. He came to proclaim the good news of the gospel for all people. Peter, in the book of Acts, sees a vision, and it confronts his thought about what is clean and what is unclean, and the gospel should go forth to all people. And man, it's this challenging thought for this this Jewish man, for all that he had thought, all that he had understood all of his life, to recognize that the gospel is available to all people people here's what we fall into the trap to do all of us are guilty of this from time to time we tend to be the ones that categorize people of whether or not they're worthy of God's redemption whether or not they're the kinds of people that God can use that God can save that God can can deliver and so we tend to play the role of the judge and and if you've attended here for any length of time you've heard me say there is a judge we're just not him right some of us love to play that role, like we slip into it so easily. We're so so easy to jump into this role as, as judge and jury and to be critical of others and to determine who is worthy of God's redemption and who is worthy of God's grace and his love and his mercy. But we've got to quit deciding who God can save and who God can't save. We have to understand that God plays that role. I watched a video this week of a celebrity who has kind of recently uh, come out with this idea that he has very much fallen in love with Jesus and his life has been transformed. And, there, and there's been a lot of thought within the church and circles of faith that, you know, we'll see, we'll watch for fruit, you know, because that's what we, that's, that's our job. We're supposed to watch for fruit to see if they're sincere and all of that. That's not our job, by the way. Um, but that's that's you know, so what a lot of us do, and so it's like, well, we'll see. We'll see if this is sincere. You know, we'll see. We, we've heard this before from him, so we'll we'll see if he's true this time. And as I was listening to this interview, I was I was kind of broken hearted as he declared that he had never struggled with the idea that God loved him. That, that that's that's something we kind of all cling to. I was like, oh yeah, God loves us. For God so loved the world. Okay, well I, I believe that. He said, but it wasn't until he recognized that loving God in return was turning away from sin. And he said, you know, I, I was okay kind of holding on to the love of God, but also holding on to all of the things that I wanted to do and I wanted to be. And he said, I think a part of that came from these people that were around me who called themselves Christians, but they were terrible Christian role models. Ouch. <laughs> right? And so as I think about that, I, I'm confronted with this thought. Do the people that know me, Not even if they know I'm a pastor, but do the people that know I claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I claim to be a Christian, do they want to know God too because of me? Or do they go, eh, if that's what a Christian looks like, I think I'm good. (laughs) What about the people that know you? If the people that know you, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, do they want to know him too because of the way that you live and conduct your life? Do they want to know what it is that you're trying to pursue and what it is that you're trying to be about. Pastor Matt referenced it. Like, which way is your arrow pointed? Do they know that your arrow of your life is pointed in the direction of pursuing after a relationship with God? It's not about perfection, it's about pursuit. He never calls us to perfection. He knows that we're imperfect and, and flawed in our own human being here, but... It's about pursuit. Which way is our arrow pointed? Are we? In? If people see that, do they go, well, yeah, I mean, I see the pursuit of your life. I see the direction of your life and what you're trying to be about. And because of that, I want my arrow pointed that way too. I want to I follow you as you follow Christ in the words of Paul from the New Testament. Would people that know us, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, would they want to know him too? Because of you. Ruth said, I want to go with you, Naomi. Your God will be my God. Who's saying that? about me and who's saying that about you the second thing that i see here in chapter one begins in verse seven it says with her two daughters-in-law she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of judah then naomi said to her two daughters-in-law go back each of you to your mother's home may the lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. The second thing that I see here that may be a little difficult for us to wrap our minds around is that not every relationship is meant to be redeemed. Not every relationship is meant to be redeemed. Ruth stayed. Orpah left. And that's okay. That doesn't make her a bad person. It means the opportunity presented itself. She felt like it was right for her at that time. And so she left. There are going to be some people who walk out of your life. And that's okay. That's okay. I know for some of us, it's like that, that breaks our heart to even imagine that, to even think that that's okay. But I want you to get this truth. Maybe you jot it down. Maybe you take a picture when it comes up on the screen in a second. There are some people in our lives for a reason, some for a season, and some for life. People in our lives, some of them are in for a reason. There is a reason that God has them in our life, that God wants to do something through this relationship. There's something that they can do or that we can do that enriches one or the other or both of us. And so there's a reason for this relationship. And so God has brought them into our lives and brought us into their lives for a specific reason. But when that reason ends, it might be time for the relationship to end. There are some people that God has brought into our lives and brought us into their lives for a season, We needed them in this season. We don't know if we would have made it without them. We don't know how we're going to make it without them as we think about what we're walking through in this season. But when this season ends, it may be time for the relationship to end. But there are some relationships that are for life. You right now probably, hopefully, are thinking of one or two or five or eight people that it's like, you're just in this thing for life. The covenant relationship you've made together with your spouse is one of those that God intended for life till death do you part. But there are friendships and other relationships that are for life. Like you might see them every day. You might talk to them all the time. Or they may be the kind of relationship that you don't see them for a few months at a time or maybe even a few years at a time. But when you walk into the restaurant, you just pick right back up where you left off. You know the backstories. You know the inside jokes. You you know what they're walking through. If they they called you at 2 a.m., you'd come running. They're in it for life. You're in it for life. But not every relationship is intended to be that way. Some relationships, some people are for a season, some for a reason, and some for life. We've got to quit demonizing everyone who leaves us. There are some people that God is trying to move out of your life right now. And you know the worst thing that you can do is to try to hold on to somebody God's trying to move on. Like, again, I'm not talking about your spouse. You can't get rid of them. You committed your life to them, all right? Do not laugh. If you laughed, you need to come to couple to couple tonight, all right? Right? But what I'm saying is, like, if God's trying to move somebody on, you don't try to hold on. I mean, they're trying their best to get away from you, and you are just clinging and holding on to them. Let them go. It could be that God has said, hey, the reason they were in your life, the season they were in your life is over. I've got somebody else. I've got something else I want you to do. But you can't move into what I've destined for your future if you keep holding on to the people that are attached to your past. Let them go. The truth is you and I have walked away from people, haven't we? We've walked out of some relationships, but we know why. We know our motives. We know our intent. We know our heart. We know why those things took place. We just don't like it when it's not on our terms. We don't like it when other people were the ones that chose to leave. We cared for them. We supported them. We loved them. We served them the best way we knew how. And they up and walked away, and it hurts, and it should. If it doesn't hurt, perhaps it means you didn't let them close enough to you To actually leave an indelible mark when they walked away from you. And so then how do we respond? What is it that we do? I encourage you. If someone walks out of your life, grieve that loss. If you want to cry, cry. If you want to be mad, be mad about it. But ultimately at some point, we've got to heal up and we've got to pursue other growing, healthy, edifying relationships for our lives. We can't can't isolate. We can't can't say, well, "Well, that last one hurt too bad. I can't ever get in another relationship like that. Again, that's not what God has designed you for. Life together really is better. You need to live in relationship with other people. And so here's the the tension. Here's what a lot of us do. When someone leaves us, someone walks out of our life, the orpas of our life, they walk away from us. We say, well, it hurt too bad. I can't ever be in a relationship like that again. It just, it stung, it hurts. I'm still not over it. And so we think, well, whoever comes into my life next, they'll probably leave me too. And so instead of allowing them to get close, we keep them at arm's length because we don't want them to get close enough that it would hurt us if they left. And so we keep them at arm's length and then they leave us because they never felt like they could get close to us. We're like our own self-fulfilling prophecy. And what I'm saying is don't allow yourself to get calloused, Don't allow the hurts of your past to keep you from the relationships that God's destined for your future. Allow people to get close. Love them. Serve them. Allow God to use them to enrich your life and keep seeking out those kinds of relationships because that's what God designed for you. Some people in your life are for a reason, some for a season, and some for life. Not every relationship is meant to be redeemed. Here's the last thing I see in chapter 1 goes all the way back to the very beginning of chapter one beginning in verse one in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land so a man from Bethlehem and Judah together with his wife and his two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab the man's name was Elimelech his wife's name was Naomi the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilion they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem Judah and they went to Moab and lived there now Elimelech Naomi's husband died And she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malin and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. The third thing I see in this redemptive story is that redemption stories turn bad to good. Redemption stories turn bad to good. A few years ago, my favorite college basketball team, which is the North Carolina Tar Heels, they lost in the national championship game. On a last second shot it was painful like I thought we were about to win because we had just made an amazing shot right before it and then they drove right down and they made a shot and I'm I didn't cry there was dust in the room it was very dusty very very dusty but I mean I watched that game I watched the replay of it a few days later thinking that I would had a bad dream and that we actually won and we lost again it was just as painful the second time I'm a slow learner and so like all the offseason I was like, oh, man, we should have won. can't believe we didn't win. The next season begins, and I'm reading again. Oh, I'm, I'm excited about the potential. and But I'm a little cautious because like I know how close we got the season before. And so we play, and we're very successful through the regular season. We make the tournament again. We progress through the tournament. We get to the Final Four. We get to the championship game. It's like, oh, we've been here before, though. I don't know. I don't know. And we eventually win the championship. There was a book that was written about that championship season. The title of that book was called Redemption. All the stories in that book. Every quote from every player, every coach, every person close to the program said that the success in year two would not have been possible without the pain of year one. The disappointing loss, the last second loss, it motivated them to work harder and to recognize what it took to finish a season out and to actually win the championship. I would have loved if we won it in year one and in year two, but that's not what happened. Redemption stories often require bad to make good. When I read through the story of Ruth, especially these first few verses of chapter one, I see so much bad, so much bad. I mean, there's famine in the land. People are are hungry. Not only that, but a family decides to escape the famine and they move to a land where there's food. And when they get there, the the husband, the father, the patriarch of this family, he dies. And then after he dies, it seems like, okay, maybe the story's going to rebound. These boys, they get married, but eventually those boys die too. And this mother has lost her husband, the father of her children. She's lost her two sons and she's left with what are probably two incredible women. And yet these three women together can do nothing for themselves in that present culture other than beg for the mercy of others to provide for them. There's so much bad. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Please don't hear what I'm not saying today. I'm not saying God caused the famine. I'm not saying that God killed Elimelech. I'm not saying that God killed those two boys. But I am saying that there are patterns in Scripture that show us that where bad things take place, God can redeem those bad things and turn them to good. When I read to the book of Romans, I recognize in the Jeremy paraphrase, without trying in any way to distort or take it out of context, that God can work all things together for the good of those who are following after, pursuing after Him. There is that pattern in Scripture. That we don't have to believe that God causes every bad or negative thing, but we believe that God can take those bad things and eventually turn them toward good things that we can actually reap the benefit from. And so often when we're in those bad things, we just don't have a clue how in the world good can come from bad. And yet when we read the story in context, we recognize that it was famine that brought them to Moab. And it was love, I guess, that brought those two boys together with their Moabite wives. And even with famine and even with death, it was a Hebrew woman and a Moabite woman that returned to Bethlehem to eventually meet a man named Boaz. So that the legacy, the lineage, the family tree of Jesus Christ could continue through the line of King David all the way to Jesus. Redemption stories turn bad to good. And, and, and I know sometimes, like, in the middle of the bad, it's really hard to find some good. Today is March the 1st. March the 2nd will always be an important day to me because tomorrow is the anniversary of the passing of my mother. She died nine years ago Tomorrow. And man, in the two years before her passing, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we believed with full faith and confidence that God would heal her. And it seemed like in certain seasons of that two years that he did, her numbers would improve. Things would progress in ways that the doctor seemed excited about. And then she took a turn for the worse. Valentine's Day, 2011, Corey and I made our way to the hospital. And over the next two and a half weeks or so, we stayed as close to her and my dad and my brother and our extended family as we possibly could. And nine years ago tomorrow, I was laying in her bed right beside her. We'd been singing. We'd been praying. And she took her final breath. It still hurts. Tomorrow is going to be awful. It always is. It hurts. It's bad. In no way would I try to tell you that, like, no, it's good. It's It's bad. And yet there are some things that God has taught me over these last nine years that I don't know that I would have learned otherwise. It doesn't mean that that's what I would have wished for if given the opportunity. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't go back and change it if I could because I absolutely would. And yet in the redemptive nature of God, he has this incredible ability that I can't explain to turn bad things into good. And I don't always know what that good will be. I'm not always sure how he's working all things together for good. You know, in the story of Job in the Old Testament, we are privy to information that Job never got. We know why bad things happen because we know there was a conversation in the heavenlies. And we know all the things that Job walked through were actually a test and were a trial and God was being, be, being glorified in all of those things. Job never got that information. He just walked day by day through the circumstances of his life and he was never privy to the why. There may be bad things that happen in your life and you never understand why. And God may not give you that answer. And yet, I just believe that redemptive stories turn bad to good. There's too much in scripture. There's too much in the character and nature of God that reveals it to be so. I'll tell you one of the good things that has happened. I was confronted by what faith truly was after my mom's passing. Because we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and believed and hoped and prayed and hoped and believed for her healing. And she wasn't healed here on the earth in the way that we'd hoped. And it was in those days after and really the weeks after and the months after and even these years after that I've continued to wrestle with the fact that faith is the substance of things hoped for. That it was the trusting in God that he could and believing that God could that was actually a revelation of my faith. And ultimately, now I'm confronted every time I pray for you for healing. Every time I pray for you for a miracle, here's what you can know. I'm praying by faith. Because I'm hoping for something to be done. And believing and knowing and trusting that God is the only one capable of doing what we're asking him to do. I think I actually pray with more faith now, with a more authentic faith now, than I even prayed with then. Because even though that one didn't go my way, I still had to come to grips to believe that all of the testimonies of healing, both from Scripture and from those I encountered in my life, that they truly had been God's healing in any specific moment is about his revealing his power to do so in that moment. Every person that's ever been healed eventually died of something else. It was about the demonstration of God's power. And he chose not to reveal his power in that way in my mom's life, but he might in yours now. And he might provide the miracle you need now. And so I pray with full confidence and an authentic faith and belief that God can in a greater way than I ever could before. And so if you're walking through a circumstance right now and it seems like nothing but bad and you can't imagine how anything good could ever come from it, I've got four questions for you to ask. Four things that when you're in a healthy place, when you're in a moment that you feel like you can actually ask these questions of yourself and of God, that perhaps he could use these questions to bring greater healing and purpose in your current pain. Here's the first question. God, what are you up to? God, not necessarily that you caused it, but even if you just allowed it, even if it's just a circumstance of the sinful fallen world that we live in, what is it that you are up to right now? Even though I was caught by surprise, I don't believe that you were caught by surprise. And So God, what are you up to? What is it that you're doing in my life and in my circumstances? God, what are you up to? The second question comes right off the heels of that to say, God, how are you going to use this? How are you going to use this in my life like in, in the in the moment in the circumstances it's painful it hurts and I can't imagine that any good could come from this but there's been too many other times in my past that at the end of something I had a story to tell to share with somebody else and it, and it brought healing in their life it brought clarity to their life it brought greater faith in my own life and so God how is it that you might be using what I'm walking through right now maybe I don't know yet maybe I won't know for a while but God just know I'm open to whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that you're up to, for you to teach me a lesson so that I can know how you're going to use this. The third question is, God, who are you connecting me to? Is this like a Ruth and Naomi thing, like famine and some loss? and I don't understand it all. I'm not sure why it happens. I'm not sure how it all works out. I don't understand in the sovereignty of God why things happen this way. But, God, who is it that you're connecting me to in this season? Maybe it's just for this season because of my hurt. They've walked through it previously and they can help bring healing to my heart. Or maybe as we walk out of this season, I can walk hand in hand with them into their next season where I can use what it is that you're teaching me to help them. God, who are you connecting me to? And then the fourth question is this. Who can I help with this? Maybe I'm not even connected to anyone, but God, would you bring them into my life? Would you allow my pain to serve some greater purpose? And would you help me to help someone else with what I'm walking through so it's not wasted? I sat the other day in a very small room at a table with five other men, all of them older than me, all of them more experienced in life and family and everything than me. And there was a point in the conversation where one of the men started talking about the soon passing of his mother. And he was at a loss for how he would respond. And what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to prepare for that. And what the days after her passing would be and what he should do and what he should feel. And I felt that still small voice in my life that I felt a couple of times. And it may not have been this exact phrase, but I just felt the Lord say, like, this is one of those spots. You can speak to this. You've walked through this. And so I just spent about three or four minutes just encouraging him. I said, listen, your story is your story. Your pain is your pain. I in no way want to put myself into your story. But let me just tell you what I experienced almost nine years ago. This is what it felt like in the days before her passing. This is what it felt like in the few days after her passing. This is what I feel every year on the anniversary of her passing. This is what I feel on her birthdays and her anniversaries and on my birthdays and on the big moments of my children that she's missing. Like, this is what I feel. And you may feel something similar, but here's what I've learned. And I just tried to encourage him and I just tried to pray for him. And I don't know that it helped him, but it helped me to feel like some of the pain that I had walked through mattered. God could use it for something greater than just my painting redemption stories turn bad to good it's the nature of redemptive stories in just a moment we're going to take communion as a response today before we dismiss but I'm going to ask you just for a second just to bow your head and close your eyes nobody's looking around just a moment of personal reflection between you and God as you sit there If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I know that I need the redemption of God. I need him to forgive my sins and to lead my life, to be the Lord of my life from this moment forward. And I'm asking him to do that now. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need him to do that work today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? We want to pray for you. Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Now, if you'd say, Jeremy, for me, I I just need that redemption story in my life. Maybe there's loss. Maybe there's pain. Maybe there's circumstances I don't understand. Maybe there's some relationships where it seems like God's moving some people out. Maybe I've been trying to hold on. But I just need to see God's hand at work. I just need to know I'm not walking by myself through this. And I just need God to redeem some parts of my story. If that's you, would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God, we love you today. We thank you. We thank you that you hear us and we pray. We thank you, God, that you're walking this journey with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. I pray now, God, that you would save those who have asked for forgiveness, change their eternity now, not just for them, but for generations to come as they begin to write a new faith story with their lives. God, I pray now for those who lifted their hands to say, I just need need to see this redemptive story at work. I'm hurting. I'm walking through something. I don't understand something. Loss, hurt, pain, tragedy, relationships, brokenness, whatever it is, I just need to know that God is with me and that God's redeeming these things. He's working these things together for good. God, we believe that you do these things, and so we ask you to do them now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.